Early is on time, on time is late, and late is unacceptable. So says Jerome Dickey, who is a New York Times best-selling author. Uh, it resonates with a lot of people because in our culture, our society, we greatly value time. We're, we're all busy. Our calendars, our calendars are packed. We have lots of commitments, so we value our time. Uh, we want to value the, the time of other people, and we sure hope they value ours. I, I mean, how do, how do we feel when somebody is habitually late and we talk to them about it, and, and they, they continue to do it over and over and over? We, we begin to think that they don't really value our time. They are just thinking about themselves. They don't really care about our time, about our life. Is it ever okay to be late? Is it ever okay for for God to be late? Have you ever wondered about God's timing in response to your prayers, to your your needs? Maybe you've even felt that he, he didn't show up. So how are we to respond to our questions about God's timing? Why didn't he intervene here? Why didn't he show up on time here? How are we to respond to the questions that we have about God's timing? There's a line from the Lord of the Rings where Gandalf the wizard um, shows up later than expected. And, you know, the characters and other say, hey, Gandalf, you're, you're late. Where, where have you been? And Gandalf responds, a wizard is never late. A wizard always comes when a wizard intends to come. But how do we respond when we feel like, you know, God hasn't shown up when we wanted him to or, or when we needed him to, when God is late? We can ask that question. We can feel that way at times. And if it's true of us, it certainly was true of a man named Jairus. We are continuing our sermon series through the book of Mark. And today we come to a story, an interesting story in Mark chapter 5. Let's pick it up in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So we learn a couple things about Jairus here. First, he's he's the leader of a local synagogue. So he's an important person. And we also find out that he's a father. He has a little girl. And being the leader of the synagogue, he would have been highly respected, kind of a religious leader slash community leader slash politician all wrapped up in one package. So he's kind of a big deal. He would have been expected. There's a certain decorum that he would be expected to be to abide by. Um, he would have had to look the part, you know, kind of act the part. And here he throws himself at Jesus feet. He throws all thoughts about what people think about him and he throws himself at Jesus' feet because he is, he's desperate. His heart's breaking. He's desperate because his, his little girl is, well, well she's, she's dying. Now we see this sort of reaction of throwing themselves, somebody, somebody throws himself in front of God 
uh, or an angel or Jesus in the Bible. But this, think about this. Say your child is struggling in school and you want to have a talk with the, you know, the principal. So you go to school and there's a school assembly happening and you walk in front of, you walk up to the principal in front of everybody, your kids there, their friends are there, teachers, maybe some parents, and you just throw yourself down in front of the principal and you begin begging them to help your child. You wouldn't do that. Why? Well, one is your kid would never talk to you again. They would be mortified, right? But also because you just don't do that. It's, that's not the way to approach them. You would pull them aside privately. You'd talk to them. you ask them for help. you kind of try to intervene and, and you know, intercede and all that. But you wouldn't just throw yourself down and humiliate yourself in front of everybody. But that's what Jairus does because he has nowhere else to turn. Doesn't care what it's going to cost him. Doesn't care what people think because he has this little girl. And I'm sure, you know, if you're a parent, if you've got sons, there's a very special bond between you and your son or sons. I mean, it's a really cool thing, a very special bond. But if you have a daughter also, you know that the daughter owns you. They kind of wrap you around your, your, their, their finger. And you want to nurture them. You want to protect them at all costs. You want to fix their problems. And when they're hurting and you can't help them, it breaks your heart. And so Jairus, he, he, he comes to Jesus and he'll do anything for his daughter. Now, it's interesting that Jairus clearly is a person of faith. He has some faith. I mean, I'm not saying he has everything figured out, but he clearly has faith in Jesus that Jesus can respond to his request and heal his daughter. Maybe he's seen it happen. Maybe he's met somebody who's been healed. He certainly has heard about this. And I don't think this is a Hail Mary from a skeptic. Hey, I'm going to try anything. What the heck? It's worth a try. Probably won't work. He has faith. He believes that Jesus can heal his daughter. Which is interesting because in the Gospels, Jesus' strongest opposition comes from guys like Jairus, religious leaders. And, and, and so, you know, a lot of them, not all, but a lot of religious leaders, they thought Jesus was kind of some sort of dangerous, heretical quack. So he's going against the current here, Jairus is. It's a big risk, and it's clearly a step of faith, a public step of faith towards Jesus. And his peers who were there, many of them probably would, would have been offended. Uh, he could have been shunned. He could have been ostracized. But his love for his daughter is so great, his desperation is so complete that he, he throws himself at Jesus' feet and begins pleading. And how does Jesus respond? As we hope he would respond, he says, yes, of course. Yes, I will come with you. And so the crowd begins to follow Jesus and Jairus and the disciples. They begin to make their way to Jairus' house. And then this strange scene happens, verse 25. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? So this is wonderful for this woman. 
I mean, she's been suffering for 12 years from bleeding. Most commentators think this, that this was a continual menstrual flow, that she'd been having her period for 12 years. I mean, just think how draining and frustrating and painful that would have been. But on top of that, there's the emotional trauma, because according to Old Testament law, she would have been unclean. And that would have meant that she would be very limited in her social interaction. She would have been cut off from much of society. She would have been unable to be a part of worship with her people. That wasn't allowed. I mean, think about that. I mean, these last couple of years have not been easy. One of the biggest problems has been just it's hard to have social interaction. And we're created for community. I mean, we're supposed to be careful. We need to be wise. We need to be careful and responsive and thoughtful of each other. But it's tough not to be able to connect like before. Can you imagine being this lady, socially isolated from worship, from other people, considered unclean for 12 years? And it was a small town. People would have known her condition. I mean, she must have been felt so ashamed and so humiliated. And she spent all her money looking for a cure and it only made it worse. And she hears Jesus is coming through town and she pushes through the crowd. She has faith. If she can just touch his cloak, she'll be healed. And her faith is rewarded and she's healed. Then Jesus stops and asks, who touched my cloak? Verse 31. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell to his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. That's wonderful. Twelve years, and she's healed. But what about Jairus and his little girl? The clock is ticking. Imagine you're Jairus. You're at home. Your daughter is deathly ill. Your wife says, go to Jesus. He runs to Jesus. He throws himself in front of Jesus. He pushes through the crowd. He asks for Jesus' help. Jesus says, yes, I'll come. They begin to walk that way. And then this woman touches his in a crowd. And Jesus stops everything. He wants to know who touched him. I mean, I've been in a large crowd a number of times. I'm sure you have too. Um, coming out of a, you know, a stadium after a big game or biggest crowd I've ever been a part of was 4th of July in D.C. a number of years ago. I mean, the mall was packed. I don't know how many, had to be a million people, just packed. And after the fireworks and the William Tell Overture was over, everybody began to leave, move to the train stations. They were just kind of carried along. You're bumping into people. You don't know who touched you from the front or the back or the side. It's just, you're just moved along. You can barely keep on your feet. The disciples say, Jesus, you've been touched many times. What are you talking about? Jairus is thinking, hey, we've, we've got to keep going. We've got to keep going. And Jesus stops and talks to the lady. And Jairus is wondering, wondering, are we going to make it in time? By the way, how old is the girl? We'll find out later, just a little bit, a little bit that she's 12 years old. How long had the woman been suffering from bleeding? 12, 12 years. And Jairus must have thought, hey, I, 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 I know this woman. I know what she's been going through. But Jesus, we've got to do triage here, okay? I, I'm happy for her and everything, but she's not going to die. This is not terminal. My, sister, my daughter, my daughter is, is, is going to die. But Jesus stops and talks. He's got to be thinking, your timing stinks. What are you doing? Be sort of like you're on the way to the hospital in the ambulance, and your spouse is over there, massive heart attack, barely hanging on, 
And there's a person uh, uh, with a cane. They trip in the fall on the side of the street, and the ambulance pulls over to help them. You're thinking, I'm sure they need help, but come on. This is not comparable. Uh, The need is not the same. But in Mark 5, Jesus takes his time. And in verse 35, people arrive on the scene, and Jairus hears what he has been dreading. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now, how do you think Jairus felt? Heartbroken, devastated, just crushed with grief. But he probably also felt some frustration and some, some anger, maybe some confusion. If Jesus hadn't stopped, if he hadn't delayed, she might still be alive. You told me you were coming, and then you stopped. Why? I don't understand your schedule, your timing. What are you doing? There's another instance of this in John chapter 11. There's Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Their siblings are good friends of Jesus. Jesus and his disciples are out of town, and Lazarus becomes deathly ill. They send word to Jesus, come. Lazarus is dying. Come and heal him. Jesus gets word. He waits three days. Three days before he leaves, he shows up. Lazarus has been dead three days. And what does Martha say to Jesus? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You ever feel like Jairus did? We ask Jesus to do something. We ask for him to intervene. And he shows up for other people. That's great. I'm happy for them. But, but it doesn't seem to be in time for us. Maybe you felt that way. There have been times I've prayed something and don't get the answer I want. Somebody else prays the same thing. They get the answer that I would like to get. And you wonder, okay, God, what are you doing? I don't understand your, your, your timing here. What's next? Verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told Cyrus, don't be afraid, just believe. So they move on to the house. Verse 38. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. And they all laughed at him. They're saying, Jesus... She stopped breathing. She's pale. She's not asleep, Jesus. But Jesus put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went into where the child was. And Jesus took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. Can you imagine the emotional roller coaster that these people went through? Just in a case of a few few minutes, maybe a few hours. Daughter is deathly ill. They run to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to come. Their, their hopes begin to rise. Jesus stops. They're frustrated. They get word she's died. They're crushed. They come here. Jesus raises her back to life. Astonishment. Relief. Probably a little bit of questioning. Why did you put us through this? I mean, if you were going to heal her, why didn't you do it from afar? Why did she have to suffer and die? I don't understand your timing here. I mean, I think that's our question sometimes. 
we don't always understand God's timing. Because the story doesn't always end with the resurrection. Sometimes our loved ones or friends, they're not healed. They die. And we ask why. Sometimes we get a miracle. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes God shows up on time or in the nick of time. And sometimes he doesn't, or at least not in the way we think he should. We don't always know. We don't always understand. We can't always understand. Now, eventually this little girl would have died, just like Lazarus eventually would have died after his resurrection. Eventually death comes for all of us. But something that can give us hope when we wonder why, something that can help us when it seems God is too late for us or too late for somebody that we love, is that Jesus is Lord over death. That Jesus has the power to bring the dead to life. That Jesus will bring an end to death once and for all when he returns. And that for the believer, death in this life is an entry into a life in a world where we will never die. Remember what Jesus said to Mary and Martha right before he rose Lazarus back from the dead? He said, I'm the resurrection and life. If anybody believes in me, anybody trusts in me, even though they die, they will live forever. So in the end, when God doesn't answer us according to what we want or according to our time, we can have a choice to make. We can have a choice to choose door number one. God is not good because he didn't answer when I wanted him to or how I wanted him to. We can become bitter and cynical and chuck our faith. We can choose door number two. God isn't really in control. Then, and then God is diminished. And can we really trust him with things if he's not in control? Our faith is shaken. Or we can choose door number three. God is good and his ways are beyond our ways. His timing is sometimes beyond our comprehension and he is worthy of our trust. What door will you choose? What choice will you make? Though we don't always understand his timing, God is good. Though we experience suffering and loss, God is good. Though we die in this life, we will live again through him in the next. God is good. God is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we often have questions we don't understand or comprehend your ways or your timing. But Lord, we trust in you. We trust in your promises. We say that you are faithful and you're kind and patient. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are, you have, that you're Lord over death. That we can trust in you even when things don't go the way they want, when it seems you aren't showing up on time. Lord, we trust in you. Help us to have the big picture. Help us to, to stand firm in our faith and trust in you, Lord Jesus. And help us to trust in your timing and your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.